to everyone on a chilly morning. Had to thaw my fingers after walking the dog this morning. Frostbite was setting in. Well, uh, let me open our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are uh, good. Uh, you are, uh, as we'll read in our passage um, today, uh, your steadfast love never ceases. Uh, your mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And we uh, come today um, knowing that uh, we are sinners, that um, there is no good in us uh, apart from what you give us. Uh, and so we uh, turn to you alone uh, for our hope and our salvation. Lord, uh, uh, as we'll see in our passage today, uh, even in the midst of suffering and in the midst of affliction and feeling loss, um, that there is comfort and hope to be found in you alone, uh, in the God who can um, bring ab about uh, suffering and can uh, relieve it. And so uh, just as um, the author uh, turns his eyes to you and proclaims uh, in faith and hope of your goodness. Uh, may we have the same hearts uh, that seek you and seek to do your will, uh, but most of all, uh, to throw ourselves on your loving kindness and your mercy. We pray now that you would teach us. Uh, may the same spirit uh, that spoke uh, through the poet uh, speak to us now, uh, guide us into all truth, and most of all, uh, show us our Savior, Jesus Christ, who um, more than anyone who has ever existed or will exist knows the wrath of God um, in its fullest um, as he drank that cup of wrath for us that we might have eternal life uh, through him and his life-giving resurrection. So even as we um, see uh, uh, affliction uh, and someone crying out in the midst of affliction, help us think of our Savior uh, who cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and through that act um, uh, brought hope to us and a certainty uh, of eternal life for us. Teach us this morning, we pray, um, through our Savior and the power uh, in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, amen. All right, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 3 of the book of Lamentations. Last week uh, in chapter 2, we uh, saw a really um, detailed and graphic description of God's wrath and anger as he poured judgment and destruction on his people. Um, this, that chapter reflected the poet's coming to terms with the reality of God's anger and encouraged other people to come to terms with that truth. What had befallen Jerusalem was not due to some blind, brute, dumb force that happened to come upon it by chance or simply through the political machinations of others. Uh, in reality, God's holiness and justice could not tolerate the abominations his people committed. And despite his long-suffering patience, the restraint God showed towards his people and their evil doing had to finally yield to his righteous anger when they refused to mend their ways. Even though God was exceedingly angry with Judah, his anger was measured out and controlled by both his love and justice. Um, and we talked about had he not cared or loved so intently, he would not have troubled himself to call his wandering sinners back to his embrace. 
We also saw last week how God's anger didn't just come through physical afflictions, but through the removal of every spiritual and religious crutch that they possessed. They emphasized God's commitment to Jerusalem, to God's commitment to the Davidic kingship, God's commitment to his temple, independently of their demonstrating their commitment to God. So God removed all these gifts from them. As we talked about last week, no one remained untouched by God's anger, young and old, men and women, priests and princes, soldier and civilian, all felt the stinging pain of God's rebuke. But again, the, there wasn't a lot of hope in last week's uh, passage, but the hope uh, that comes toward the end, um, since Yahweh was the one who had sent this judgment, he was the only one who could bring comfort and aid to Zion. Um, and so uh, the chapter ended with the people pouring their distress out in prayer in verses 20 and 22, as the poet had urged them to do in verses 17 through 19. So today we turn the page to chapter 3, uh, and this, is the, this chapter is the focal point of the book of Lamentations. It is distinct in both its form and contents. Like the first two chapters, chapter 3 presents a 22-stanza acrostic poem following the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, but that form is intensified by every sentence or every line of each stanza starting with the same letter, which is why um, our, our, our translations or our modern Bibles um, render it in 66 verses rather than 22, because each three-line stanza starts with the same letter. So verses 1 through 3 all start uh, with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Uh, verses 4 through 6 all start with the Hebrew, uh, each sentence starts with the Hebrew letter Bet, and so on. Um, so it is a very, uh, it's taken the, the formula that we've seen in the first two chapters and uh, amplified it. Um, uh, so it's different in form. Um, there's a more complicated pronoun structure, and I speaks in verses 1 through 24. In verses 25 through 39, someone, unclear who's the speaker, uh, speaks about uh, he, um, or a third person, and then in verses 40 to 47, or 25 to 39, someone speaks in he. Um, uh, then the I comes back, <laughs> and then the we comes back, uh, and then it ends with I again. Um, so, um, uh, and I expresses in verses 48 to 66 great sorrow and distress once again. Yet in the middle, so it starts with affliction, it ends with uh, crying out in affliction, but in the middle is the longest section of hope in this book. And three times um, in our chapter, uh, in the midst of suffering, uh, the strong emphasis on hope is sounded. Therefore, I have hope, verse 21. Therefore, I will hope in him, verse 24. And there may yet be hope, verse 29b. So we'll see the same note of of affliction, uh, crying out in the midst of suffering, describing the horrible things um, that have befallen um, the speaker. But in the midst of it, there's this confident hope and trust in God. And that's what, again, sets this chapter apart in terms of content. So it's different both in how it presents itself to us, um, and it's different in, in some of the message with this uh, center focus on God's faithfulness. 
So with that as a uh, word of introduction, let me read for us. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You've wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us, panic and pitfall, have come upon us devastation and destruction. 
My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. Okay, so the first 24 chapters or verses uh, of this chapter are linked together by the first person singular pronoun, I or my. Um, so who is speaking in these verses? That's kind of the first question we need to, to talk about. Um, who is the I that is speaking uh, in, in this chapter? And how does he describe uh, his own and his people's afflictions? And it's a really like to start off a chapter, I am the man, <laughs> like that, that's a pretty like, uh, you know, like that actually carries well into modern English. <laughs> I'm the man, <laughs> like, uh, but I am the man who has seen affliction. So, but to start a sentence with just I am the man, that's, you often see kings uh, start off something like that. So um, it's a very dramatic way to open the chapter. Um, so as we see this, who try to figure out who this I is speaking, um, it, it's a very dramatic opening. So who do we think I is? Yeah, Jay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So one option uh, is that it's a, a real historic person speaking. Um, Jeremiah is the most likely candidate. Uh, there, there's some people who put King Jehoiakim uh, as it. So, so that's one option. A real historical person who's experienced these events is is crying out. Um, what they have themselves experienced. Yeah, Cynthia. Yeah, or the prophet here being the representative for the suffering of his people. So, so yeah, so that takes, um, so the third option that, that people have put forth is that this is um, kind of like, and every man, like so, it's not a specific person, but it's anybody who went through something like this. Uh, you know, underwent the the. You know, this is how anybody uh, 
would have expressed their affliction. So we've kind of like just generic every person. We've got specific person. And then the third option that, um, which I, I agree with Cynthia, is that it is both um, an individual, in this case, Jeremiah, the prophet, and anticipation, absolutely what you're saying, and in, there are a lot of similarities between this and the suffering servant in Isaiah. Um, the prophet who, in corporate solidarity with his people, is expressing um, on behalf of the people what they have suffered. Like, but he's using like his voice, but he's not speaking for himself alone. He is kind of like the representative sufferer for his people, which again, I, I think you're absolutely right to point us to, to, to God um, and particularly to Christ and his suffering and his taking on that role of the suffering servant. And I think that's why the pronouns like get in the second half of the um, chapter go back and forth between I and we. <laughs> like there's such close identification with his, the people that he, he's speaking as, as one uh, with them. So he can say I and we <laughs> kind of like at the same time. Um, he's experienced it. Um, he's uh, experienced it to its highest degree, but he's done so in corporate solidarity um, with all the people of the city. So it's Jeremiah, but speaking with a voice for everyone. Yeah, Landon. Absolutely, and especially chapter or Psalms 42 through 44, there are a lot of similar language, a lot of, um, uh, yeah, the same words, the same expressions, the same um, attitudes, feelings. Um, so yeah, I think you're, you know, there's so much of those Davidic Psalms that are flowing through this, that are informing. Uh, Psalm 33 is another one that shows up a lot of allusions to the um, to that language, so, and I think that's that's where we, um, as we think about this, um, you know, this is probably the most messianic chapter in the Book of Lamentations, right? And uh, for those reasons that that um, uh, Landon and Cynthia just pointed out, the the link to the suffering servant, the link to how David cries out in the Psalms, um, with expressions like, I mean, if you know, like I used. Uh, Christ's words on the cross, my God, my God, you know, why have you forsaken me? Like, David said that first, like, and, and just as the psalmist speaks and then Christ takes up those words, um, we see the same kind of thing, I think, in this chapter in Lamentations. Yeah, yeah. Again, like taking a lot of the same kind of, um, so even though this is like an extraordinary affliction, it's not an unprecedented affliction, and it's not an unprecedented voice to cry out. Like the psalmist says a lot of the same things. And a lot of the struggle here is this kind of the struggle we see in, in multiple of the psalms. Um, the, you know, like Psalm 73, he, he's tormented by the, uh, like, you know, 
Psalm 73 is like, why do good things happen to evil people? <laughs> um, where, and it, it just gives a description of this bad guy who's so, like, so fat and happy. Um, and then the turning point in that psalm is, but then I considered his end. Like, yeah, yeah, he might have a lot of stuff now, but he doesn't have the worship of the Lord. And, and in Psalm 73, it's, it's when the moment the psalmist enters the temple, goes through the gates, that he, his perspective completely changes. Um, and we see that here. Like, um, and I love the kind of transition between verses 20 and 21. Um, or, sorry, <laughs> between um, verse 21 and verse 18. Um, so verse 18, it's kind of like he's reached his low point. My endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. And then he calls out, remember my affliction, my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul, soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And what follows is what he calls to mind. He calls to mind the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. So just like a lot of those psalms, there's a turning point where someone is, is bowed down with grief and affliction. There's anger over how their enemies are triumphing over them. And then the turn comes, the, you know, as Paul does in Ephesians, but God. Um, you know, here, like, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So just like in, in those Psalms, there is great suffering and affliction. There's recognition that that suffering and affliction, though it might be coming from a third party, is really coming from God, and rightfully so, as we've seen in prior chapters. But therefore, the hope is that God's anger uh, won't continue forever, that he will remember his people in his love and compassion and mercy. That even though they've been unfaithful and therefore experienced his right judgment, he himself is faithfulness um, in his very being. So what are some of the things, um, As before we get to the, <laughs> the, the high point, um, the high point comes with, with more description of affliction. Um, so how does um, Jeremiah describe his and his people's suffering in these first, um, you know, uh, 18 or so verses? What kind of images does he give? Yeah, Greg. Uh, here, I, I think it's more physical. Uh, it's the guts. <laughs> um, hold on, let me, uh, I'm trying to remember how, um, let me see if I can find the, the word. Um, 
All right, let's see, we're in verse 13. Um, yeah, guts. Um, you know, he made that arrow, like, so in verse 12, he's talking about the arrow. He bent his bow and sent me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my, my guts, kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. So, yes, like, yeah, it's like, um, uh, oh, the movie Unforgiven. Uh, Clint Eastwood shoots someone in the stomach, and it's like, you know, it's a stomach wound in the 19th century. He's not going <laughs> to... He's not going to live through that. Like The guy's like, well, you didn't kill him. He's still crying out. And he's like, oh, he's dead. <laughs> Might take a while. But yeah, it's a, it's a death blow um, that's been delivered. And again, purposely, like, um, I, I love how, how this carries across um, stanzas. So, he's, like, so he bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. That ends one stanza, and then the next stanza picks up with it. So, um, so it's not every stanza, the, how the stanzas are kind of connected in, in some places, which is, again, instructive of how like, well put together this is. It sort of like teaches you, as my Hebrew professor used to say, you, you, Hebrew, you learn the rules, and then you learn how the rules get violated in really important ways. <laughs> so you learn the rules of the language, and then when those rules are, are transgressed, then that's something important. And I think here, he's established these really um, you know, carefully crafted stanzas that each one is starting with the same letter and is you know, held together, uh, but then he breaks that pattern by carrying some images across you know, stanzas from one to another. And, and that's one of the places he does it. And I think that brings attention to, to that point. Like, again, it's like in a hymn, like sometimes we have hymns where one verse of the hymn will end and the next verse picks up on the same note or theme. Um, and, and we can kind of see this as if you think of these stanzas as lines of a poem or lines of a hymn. Like, so that, that stanza ends in verse 12, and then verse 13 picks up on it. Um, and it's, it's the death shot. Um, and a death shot that has made him the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day. He's filled me with bitterness, and he has sated me with wormwood. And again, break across, so that should end the stanza, but the theme picks up with the next one. He's made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. Um, so as we, like, again, like, think of, there's a lot of language in here of words, verbs that are usually good things that God does to his people. Um, uh, like the driving in verse 2, that's the shepherd driving. So, you know, it's a shepherd kind of image, shepherd driving his flock. But here he's not driving his shepherd to those pleasant, or the sheep to the pleasant pasture. He's brought me into darkness without any light. Um, instead of um, bringing him into places uh, of safety, he's a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. So those things the shepherd usually protects the flock from. Here, God is bringing those things upon them. Usually, God fills his people with good things. Like, again, that, that filling there, he has filled me. 
it, it's an eating word, like, you know, he's, he's been a lavish host that has filled his guest, except here, he's filled me with bitterness. He's sated me with wormwood. Uh, he's made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. Um, so he's, you know, literally driven him down in, into the dirt so that, like, he's eating gravel. Um, like, I don't know if you ever got in a schoolyard fight, but that was always, like, eat dirt. Uh, <laughs> I never, I, I, I was subject to bullying. I was never a bully myself. <laughs> so, yes, I do know what it is, like, to eat dirt, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, but, um, so it's that kind of picture of, of one's, you know, this metaphorical picture of God driving their faces uh, into the dirt and ashes uh, to that they're they're being filled with bitterness. They're being sated with with wormwood, which is this you know um, image of this bitter tasting plant that was thought to be poisonous. Yeah, Dave. Where the which the cower? Yes. So that's. So yeah, and I'm glad you pointed out because there is um, there's a difference between what's happening in those verses where you know he's he's being driven down into the dirt and ashes, and that kind of voluntary. Um, later on, we'll see. Hold on, where is it? Uh, um, later, it it talks about him. Um, um, let him put his mouth in the dust, there may be yet be hope. So that is more of the, like, it, it seems like the same thing, but it's a difference between, like, you shoving my head into the dirt and me bowing before you in submission and placing my face in the dust. So when we get to that second one, it is, it's an act of, of, of subjection, reverence to some, you know, recognizing that God is superior to me, so like we see everybody when they encounter God, the first thing they do is fall on their face in the dust. So, so I'm glad you pointed out, like this first one is very much um, something being done to them, like at, with, with no choice involved, that like they're not choosing to eat gravel and to, to, to roll around in ashes. It, it, it's happening to them, whereas this next one, you know, bowing their face in the dust, is more that act of reverence and subjection um, before the face of a holy and righteous God. Good, other images from the first part. Um, things stand out to you. So again, I'll, it's very much, um, you know, just like we saw in last chapter, it, notice the, the he's. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He's besieged and enveloped me. He has made me dwell in darkness. So the, there's no getting away from the fact that, once again, he's attributing the bad things that have happened to him and his people to God. Um, he is fully acknowledging that. And, and that's setting us up for when he turns, his only hope is in God. Like, so that's the when we get to the turning point. Um, it's this recognition that God's sovereignty has brought this affliction upon his people 
And therefore, their only hope is in the midst of those afflictions to turn to that very God. Yeah, Jay. Darkness, <laughs> yeah, crooked paths, like you can't, like, and you're absolutely right, like a crooked path is, it's, you know, you, you don't have a straight line to escape, <laughs> like, so it's very much like, you know, in the horror movie where the, you know, chasing and they're going to, why they always go to the basement, I have no idea, but, you know, um, but like they're following a crooked path, like, and it, it is that, that fear and terror should be running all through this. Um, some people have uh, wondered when, he, when it says, he's walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. Um, the Assyrians apparently used to like do that, like wall people into the, into the wall, like as their sentence of death, like you know, what a horrible entombing someone alive. Um, and it's that kind of horrible, like, and imagine the, like, that's just not just a horrible way of die. That's, like, you're, you know you're going to die, like, the fear that comes from being purposely entombed like that. Um, so I, I like the horror movie <laughs> analogy, and that's, that's sort of what he's, he's expressing. I've, I've lived through the fear of this horror, and he comes to a low point, like, you know, he, he comes to the end of himself, really, in verse 18, you know, or let's read the whole stanza. Uh, he's made my teeth grind on gravel, made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Like, so he, he literally, um, through all this affliction and fear, comes to this point of the end of himself. Like, you know, he, he's reached the end of his line. Um, it's, this is the darkest statement, uh, you know, it, of all the dark statements in here. That's the darkest one. And then the next stanza, we start getting the light uh, come in. The next stanza is, offers us, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And again, the way um, that stanza so perfectly matches the prior one. Um, or mirrors it. Uh, his hope has from the Lord has perished. And then the next one, therefore I have hope because he, he remembers not his circumstances, he remembers the character of God. Um, and I, I love the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Like uh, I, I, I almost was going to make us sing it this morning, <laughs> but uh, it in no situation should I ever be uh, the song leader <laughs> of anything. Um, but, um, but we often sing it like, you know, and, and kind of have a sense, uh, morning by morning, uh, new mercies I see. Um, and 
we, we, we see the, like, we can kind of sing that song from a sense that we've received mercies and blessings and therefore we, we sing out to God's great is thy faithfulness. He hasn't had the mercies and blessings yet. Um, he's in the middle of the affliction um, and he's trusting in God's character, not in his circumstances. So great is thy faithfulness. And again, like sing it however you want, but <laughs> the context of the verse is that it's in the midst of his afflictions um, that he can say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So it, it's not an expression um, after realized hope. It's an expression in, in anticipatory hope. And again, hope in the Old Testament isn't like I hope my basketball team won yesterday. Uh, when I checked the score, they were down by 22 with two and a half minutes left in the first half. So <laughs> that's, that's human hope. This hope is like confident trust. Like when you hope in the Lord, you, you, there's a sense of certainty to it. It's not just you're hoping for a particular outcome. You're confident in the outcome because of the person who is bringing it about. So it's, it's God is the root of his hope and confidence. And it's not tied to his circumstances. It's not coming from an experience of relief. He's still in the middle of the affliction, and he's saying that. And notice, like, we have an affliction sandwich. <laughs> uh, we get back to the affliction later on. Like, you know, uh, my eyes flow without ceasing, without respite. Um, I've been hunted like a bird by those who are my enemies without cause. But in between those expressions of all the affliction um, that has befallen them is this dramatic proclamation of the character of God, and that is the basis for his hope. What else stands out to you about uh, how the prophet is deriving consolation in the midst of affliction. And again, this is like, if, I, I'm not always great of like, like explicitly doing application, but if you want to know where application happens, this is where it happens. <laughs> um, uh, this is the place where like in the midst of his afflictions, the rubbers met the road, and, and this is where he's put his confidence in. And, it's, and we need to see how he does it so when affliction and suffering befalls us, we can see the model for how we are to respond, where we're to put our hope and confidence. So where does his hope and confidence come from? Yes, sit Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's that attitude uh, of waiting. Um, verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And, and yoke there, like we tend to think yoke is a negative thing. Yoke can also have a positive, like the yoke of instruction. Like, you're, like there's this idea you should yoke yourself to God's law. 
Um, I think that's the kind of more positive use of yoke here. So that's why he wants you to do it. Like we might read it as, oh, it's better for you to bear the yoke when you're young because you're stronger and more able to hold it. But if you're an old fat guy like me, then it's too late for you. No, that it's, it's you should yoke yourself to these kinds of ideas in your youth so that you are equipped for, out, for your entire life. That's, I think, the kind of um, instruction that's, that's being given here. Um, it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Learn, you know, how to submit to God. You know, it's the way Jesus used it. My yoke <laughs> uh, is easy. My burden is light. It's that kind of idea. Bear that yoke. Um, turn yourself to that God. Wait for him. Learn how to do that when you're young. And that will equip you to keep doing it as you get old. Good. Yeah, Cynthia. Sorry, sorry, Cynthia. <laughs> Looking at Cynthia. And Yeah, turn your troubles to God, like, and, and, and it goes back to the psalmist, like, go to the complaint department, <laughs> and I'm like you, I'm, the complaint department is my wife, or my kids, or my siblings, um, and, like, none of them who can do anything other than give me words, like, you know, um, and in this case, as you say, he, he's submitting himself, falling before God, putting his face in the dust, waiting for salvation from him, pouring out his complaints before him um, because he is the only one who can actually bring true peace. Um, not just like, uh, you know, a re relaxation or like, you know, uh, like often, like when I complain to other people, you know, the, the kind of peace you get is I'm not the only person this has happened to. Like, I, I'm not alone in affliction. And, and, and there's a degree of comfort in that, but that's not real peace. <laughs> it's just, we're all in trouble. <laughs> we all lack. Uh, we're all in need. Uh, none of us can really help one another unless we're pointing to this one, the, the one um, who directs all things. And again, the, he, he, he doesn't, like, 
theologically unfold what it means that it's God who's brought the affliction and it's God who brings the relief. He presents both those things as absolute facts, that it is God who has brought these afflictions upon me, and it's only God who can, can bring me peace and relief. And uh, my hope has to be in his, in his character, that um, his, his anger is not his predominant face toward me, but his anger is temporary. His love is his permanent face toward me. Um, his, uh, Luther has this line um, where he, he talks about God's anger is his, oh, I'm going to blow it. Uh, it's some Latin phrase. His, his, his apparatus alien, I can't remember the Latin word for alien, Nickname, you know, <laughs> but his, like so that is like it's part of his character, but his primary character is is love. Like both love and his his anger towards sin are are united together. But but love is his faithfulness. Um, that is our our hope. Like um, and again, it takes us to the cross. Like God's anger is temporarily poured out upon his son so that we eternally can experience his love and, and be in his presence. Like, it's that kind of, that's the idea Luther's getting out to, that yes, God in his justice um, and his holiness pours out his anger and wrath against sin. Um, but there's a limit to that. <laughs> um, there's not a limit to his, his love. Like it's, and we see that here. It's the hope is that it's temporary, um, and and God will um, be faithful to His character and in bringing relief. Other thoughts on this um, beautiful picture of God's uh, love and faithfulness. And again, I think this is where the instruction is like. Don't be afraid to call out before God. And you're, you're not calling out in the idea that he doesn't know or doesn't hear. He wants you to, to come to him. He, he wants you to do this act, as Cindy just pointed. He, he wants you um, to, to, to come. Uh, he wants you to submit. Um, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with the insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love.
Yeah, and, and to, to maybe put a conclusion, their hope is in a person, in God. Um, and to, to go back to, to, again, Cindy really brought this out well last week, everything they've been putting their hope in has been taken from them. The temple, the Davidic king, the city of Jerusalem, sacrifices, Sabbath days, festivals, like all the trappings of religious experience have been removed from them. And the only thing that's left is the person of God. And their only hope is in the character of that God and in his loving character. And the greatest expression of God's loving character is in, his sin, in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us, um, to drink the punishment and wrath that we um, deserve, to go to the pit, as we see the pit uh, multiple times here, um, to suffer um, affliction and wormwood and gall. Like He does all that um, out of his boundless love for his people. Um, so, yeah, so you're absolutely right to sort of take the love of God that we see displayed here um, and expressed in the midst of affliction and literally people coming, like, I love how in verses, this stanza, verses 16 through 18, he, he comes to the end of himself. Like, you know, I have nothing. I am bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. <laughs> um, I am filled with bitterness. He sated me with wormwood. My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. And then the hope from the Lord is restored when he starts remembering who the Lord is, who his character is. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I'll hope in him. And portion there is think inheritance. Like, that is my lasting treasure. Um, again, just as Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth or thief can, can destroy or take away. You know, this is the eternal treasure, the internal inheritance he's pointing to. An inheritance that is the possession of God himself, you know, God with us. That is the hope. That is the precious treasure. Yeah, Dave. And notice, like, this is all words of submission. Putting your mouth in the dust. Um, giving his cheek to the one who strikes. And, and that's what he's been saying in, in the first 18 verses. It's God. He's stricken me. Uh, he's afflicted me. So turn your cheek to the one who strikes. Um, 
you know, be filled with those insults because they're temporary. The Lord will not cast off forever. Though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. It's the idea he has brought the right punishment upon his people and that punishment has limits. Yeah, it's painful to endure um, that suffering, but there's a limit to it. It's not God's permanent face toward you. The hope is that he will turn his, his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's what you know, we ask for in that benediction, that this, the anger that our sin deserves uh, will be punished. And, and notice how he goes, he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men, and then he goes on to describe the evils men do, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? <laughs> and it's that idea of it's God who's, who's striking him, but he's striking him rightly for his sinfulness. That sin has to be punished. It, it has to be um, dealt with. Uh, God, you, you know, can't just, you know, like pass it over. That's not loving. Uh, it, as we talked about last week, God cannot tolerate the presence of evil. He has to, to deal with it. He has to punish it. Um, he has to remove it. Um, and for, you know, we have that we in verse 42. We've progressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. Um, and it's that position we saw in, in Jeremiah. Like, they, Jeremiah warns them over and over again. They want the blessings of God while they are in open rebellion against God, and that's never going to happen. They have to turn to him. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God and heaven. And, and that idea of heart and hands um, we can think, you know, external posture of prayer, but it's, we have to, to, you know, in our innermost being, our heart, and in our hands, our doing. So we have to, to, to know the things of God, uh, lift our hearts and our hands to him in, in, in worship and service. Is the, the kind of picture there. So we go from the high point, and then we're back into afflictions. <laughs> um, you have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You've wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us, I, I don't know how I've never noticed this verse before. You've made us scum and garbage among the peoples. Like, wow. Um, and, and what a thing here, like, this is God's treasured possession and you've made us scum and garbage among the peoples. Um, uh, all our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief 
at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I've been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I'm lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. So, like in the midst of all these fearful torments, um, he's calling out to God. Like, and that's what he's trying to teach us to do when we're in the midst of our afflictions, is to call out to God. Um, to not be gripped by hopeless fear, um, but to trust in God's enduring faithfulness. That, that whatever suffering we're enduring now has limits to it. Um, and that we possess something infinitely better in the person of God. All right, we're at time. Final thoughts on this chapter? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Well, let me uh, close this prayer. Gracious God, we, uh, we're so amazed by your um, loving kindness, your steadfast love, your um, loving commitment to us. Um, and even as we've said, that, that while we were yet sinners, uh, you sent your son, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, to, to die for us. Um, and um, as we uh, wrestle with our own afflictions, our own sufferings, help us uh, to uh, remember um, your promises to us that you would uh, not afflict us or tempt us beyond what we can bear, um, but that uh, you uh, fill us with hope. Help us uh, to seek a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that comes from you alone, not just uh, ease in this life, uh, ease of circumstances, um, but help us to find a peace that helps us to endure in any circumstances. Um, whatever might befall us, um, give us that peace um, that can come from you alone, um, that is part of who you are. Lord, uh, help us now um, to, to worship you. Um, may these words uh, drive us, uh, our faces, into the dust um, as, as we fall at your feet in recognition of your glorious goodness and love. Um, help us give you all honor and glory and praise for who you are and for what you've done for your people through our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray. Amen.